Hey everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, today is the first, no, this is, I don't even know what day it is. It's the third Wednesday of the month, which means it's time to introduce the debut of a brand new show calling Dr. Esser's Prescription for Health. And today he's going to give you your prescription for exercise for the new year. Please welcome him to the show. Thank you, Chef AJ and all the viewers. I'm so excited to be back with you and sharing my passion for health. Like you said, the third Wednesday of every month moving forward until Chef AJ kicks me off or something happens. I won't kick you off. I mean, can, can, you think you have enough to talk about? Oh, I've always got more. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, you're one of my favorites. I feel like you're just so inspiring. It's almost like listening to a preacher when I hear you. Well, I'm looking forward to having fun with you and the viewers today. So shall we jump right in and get going? Absolutely. Already we have a comment from Susanna. I love Dr. Esser. He's so fantastic, so motivating. Yeah. Well, I enjoy sharing that passion. And if you kind of let me share my screen, I will get a PowerPoint oh, up and running. Yeah, let me let me and, just oops, uh, let me get that little thing done that I have to enable screen share. Here we go. You should be all good now. Let's do it. So share screen and let's get the show running here. So there we are. So yes, we've called this third Wednesday of the month with Chef AJ, Dr. Esser's prescription for health. And so we're going to be going through different topics uh, throughout these upcoming months with the goal of expanding your knowledge, educating, empowering, and inspiring you to achieve your best health, right? Today is the exercise prescription. So let's get right into it. You know, I want to start at this new year time with you rating your health today. How is it? Right, it's always good to look in the mirror, a little introspection, a little evaluation of, am I really feeling good? You know, I do this all the time. I stop and I go, how am I doing? And I go, oh, wow, feel a little draggy, draggy. And then I look back and I go, oh, that's because you were up late several nights in a row working on PowerPoints and getting up super early for work or whatever. You need more sleep, buddy. Right, we'll do a whole talk on sleep moving forward. But, you know, you need to evaluate yourself because it is not the normal condition of the human to be <laughs> and feel <laughs> and dragging your feet and fatigued and all these ridiculous things. So we want to know how we are feeling. We need to be honest about it because many people, unfortunately, are not being honest about their health. But I want you to ask yourself the question, is this the health you've always dreamed of? Is this what you always wanted when you were 15, 25, 49, 60, 68, whatever? Is this what you've dreamt of? Or have you put your health on the shelf like the Christmas elf and you're just kind of moving it around to different places and saying, oh, it's over there now. Oh, can't get it there. Oh, yep. But the reality is we need to ask ourselves this basic question. Is there something we can do to change this, right? Is there something we can do to change this? Or have we maximized our potential? My answer to you, of course, is yes, you can change, revitalize, improve your health. You know, unfortunately, many Americans think that if they're not here, then they're healthy, right? If they're not in the ICU, plugged into things and wires coming out everywhere. I mean, I see patients all the time. I go, how's your health? Great, Dr. Esther. And then I look at their med list and they're on like eight medications for their chronic lifestyle diseases. And I can't even walk up the stairs because their knees hurt and whatever. And I'm going, what do you mean your health is good? Doesn't seem so hot. And so we need to be very aware. We need to ask ourselves that question, right? And, and look in the mirror and say, what does health mean for me? Is it function? Is it performance? Is it feeling good? Is it slowing the aging process? Is it prolonging your life? 
what does it really mean? And, and you know the interesting thing? It may change, right? There may be that time where you think of health as bulging biceps and sexy skin and tight uplifted breasts, right? And there might be a time when you think of health as able to walk up the stairs and play with grandkids, right? So it's important to evaluate where you are today and what health means for you. But today we're gonna to be talking about how exercise is an important part of that health journey, of those health goals. No matter what they may be, it turns out that exercise powerfully influences many of them. Now I know immediately, some of you have already gone, <laughs> I am not an exerciser, Dr. Esser. I eat my vegetables and that's enough for me. And the others of you say, well, boob, I am crushing the exercise, baby. I'm all in, in it to win it. The reality is we all need to find our way to that middle ground, that place where we say, yes, we do engage in and are involved with exercise on a regular basis. But to exercise or not, right? What are the whys? What are the why nots in your life, right? There, there are all these reasons too. You need to be thinking about them. There they are in bold. And there are a lot of why nots as well. It's not as simple as just saying, I'm an exercise in my mind. I think you need to understand yourself first because otherwise what happens is you get in there, you start doing some form of exercise and after five days, you stop. 10 days, you quit. 15 days, oh. When the reality becomes, we need to understand our reasons not to exercise, break them down progressively, and then identify the reasons too and build them up over time. Because the reality is we're going to talk some about the benefits of this prescription of exercise. This is this tiny little nothing, right? It's this one little brick in the whole thing of you celebrating success and the exercise paradigm. There's so much more here, right? I mean, were you that kid on the playground who always got picked on because you weren't fast? Were you the kid who whenever people were like, choose a team now, you were always like the last one standing there. Oh, nobody's choosing me. And as a result, you fell out of love with movement. You fell out of love with exercise. You need to know because maybe the biggest thing for you with exercise is actually lack of confidence. You lack the belief that you can do it. Or maybe it's that right now you're carrying an extra 150 pounds and it's the idea of self-image. The very idea of you getting into a bathing suit makes you need a lorazepam, right? The very idea of you going into a gym, the idea of you trying to do some form of exercise, especially in public, is too anxiety producing. You've got to know this. So this is essential that you break some of this down for you when it comes to exercise. What is it that limits you the most? What are the obstacles, right? And how do we make a plan to overcome them? Now, I always like this quote, the Da Vinci's quote, right? There's an urgency. Knowing is not enough, right? Being willing is not enough. We must do. This applies to our food, to our sleep, to all the lifestyle behaviors, but in a special way to movement, there's an urgency. Why is there an urgency? Because as we'll talk about later, there is all of this sarcopenia going on, this age-related muscle loss. There is all this dyspenia, this loss of muscle tone and function. There's all of this progressive loss of neurologic function just as with aging, the slowing down. And only if we use and stimulate the nerves and the muscle tissues and the bones do they prolong their function and their ability better. Unfortunately, that's not what's going on in America. You're very much aware of this if you watch Chef AJ's videos and speakers over time is that we are doing pathetically, we're not doing well at all. And these numbers, right, show us how inactive our society really is. 
When you look at this slide like this, we can see that the share of the population self-reporting, no physical activity at all. I mean, look at these numbers, as many as 30 plus percent in many states. We're talking zero. We're talking like nada. Like I get in my car, I drive somewhere, I walk around the store, get back in, and that's all I do. Up to 30% of one in three people. That's a lot of folks not being as active at all, doing nothing. And there's a problem with that, right? You can see here that even in individuals who do move, yet spend more than six hours a day sitting, like in a job, there's a 71% increase in mortality, the likelihood of death. So there's a true danger, there's a true risk to not being active. And unfortunately, this appears to also affect women even more than men across the globe, because of course, many men have more physical jobs. So movement is built into those jobs themselves. I'm going to hit some highlights here. Whenever we talk about the standard of care, whenever we talk about the recommendations for a prescription, we're going to go to right, some federal guidelines. So this is the most recent physical activity guidelines for Americans. Memorize these. These should be in the back of your head when you think about, right? because you need a guidepost. You need a comparison, right? Chef AJ and I talk about nutrition all the time, and we're saying, you know, 80, 90%, all these fruits and vegetables and whole grains and simple foods that you write there. Great, that's your guidepost for nutrition. What's your guidepost for exercise? Because it's easy to go, I don't know, I'm more active than the person next door, but that's not the answer. So take a look at these recommendations. For children, we're going to start there. 60 minutes a day of activity. 60 minutes a day of activity. Muscle building exercises three days a week and bone building three days a week with that aerobic 60 minutes per day. So if you have a child, if you are a child, or if you are related to a child and you think about this child, you go, oh, wow, there's no way they're getting that 60 minutes per day, right? And you know, every time you're there, they're on one of these or they're on their iPad or some other screen. It is your opportunity. It is your responsibility to engage them in movement. That could be taking them in the living room and doing jumping jacks. And how many times can we balance? How long can we balance on one foot? And let's toss this beach ball back and forth in the living room. That can be, let's go outside and let's see who can win the wind sprint to the mailbox and back three times. Ready? I'm going to challenge you. That could be that if you have the finances and the time and you're a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, you identify a local soccer camp or tennis thing or a swimming event or a hiking trail or something that you get that child involved in and get them outdoors and engage in a safe and positive way in movement because the health of those children are being built as they are children during that time of their lives. So that by the time they're 16, 18, 20, they will have developed patterns and behaviors that will radically continue throughout their life. So you have an ability to influence that and you want to using these guidelines. What about adults? 150 to 300 minutes per week of cardiovascular exercise and muscle building at least two times per week. I would vote for up to four or five times per week doing something muscle building, but at least two times a week, the federal guidelines say. That aerobic exercise can be obtained in as little as 10 minutes slots at a time. So literally you could put your oatmeal on in the morning or whatever you are having that's healthy for breakfast. And as it's gently boiling, you jog in place for 10 minutes right there, getting your heart rate up. Or it could be what I like to do, get on my tennis court and strike balls. Put a video of that on Instagram the other day, just hitting some balls, boom, 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 getting my heart rate up, getting my movement in, et cetera. Can be playing that soccer. It can be getting on the bike, the elliptical, right? The recumbent, it can be swimming, so on and so forth. 
But do not use some injury as an excuse to not get your aerobic exercise. Your knees are bad. Well, let's get you in the pool, right? Swimming. Your shoulders are bad. Let's use a kickboard. Your shoulders are bad. Let's sit on a bike and pedal. The list goes on. There are always ways, so long as you're willing to be creative and sometimes get a little outside your comfort zone. But you've got to achieve these goals. If you're over the age of 65, look at this. The same goals, 150 minutes per week, two to three days a week of building muscle and two to three days a week of doing balance that balance can be standing on one leg and putting your shirt or tie on. That balance can be going ballroom dancing, doing Tai Chi, yoga, Pilates, all of these different things. You can be standing on one foot and throwing a ball back and forth with a loved one. But we must do some work in each of these areas. Why? Because progressively, we lose these abilities. And thus, we need to work on them to prevent that loss. If you have a disability, right, whether it be cognitive or physical, the recommendation are still the same. 150 to 300 minutes per week as an adult with a chronic health condition or an adult with disability and muscle building two plus days per week. Why? Because this body, this skeleton, this frame, these muscles are what are going to carry you through life. So are you going to maintain the strength, the flexibility, the balance, the ability, or are you just going to let it do this? It's a personal decision for you. You've got to make that choice. But when you make the healthy choice, here's what happens. If you achieve the recommended amount of aerobic activity, take a look at this. You reduce your risk of all-cause mortality from all the most common diseases just by achieving that aerobic ability, that aerobic exercise. And if you do the strength training only, well, you reduce your risk by of three of eight of them, right? Cardiovascular disease, cancer, and chronic lower respiratory tract disease, but not all eight of those common diseases. Now, the sad reality is you can see the numbers below that in this most recent data from the federal government, less than 16% of people actually achieve the recommended amount of aerobic and strength training. Now, I bring this up because here's the beauty, right? It's so fascinating, isn't it, in life? You know, they used to tell me when I started having a job, they're like, you know, if you just show up on time and if you just have a smile on your face, you're already ahead of half the other people, if not more. And that's the reality when it comes to our fitness and exercise and function. You don't need to be a master level athlete spending 20 hours a week, right? In order to have a fit, strong, healthy body. That's not it. You need to start moving. You need to start working on that balance and that strength. And just by doing that immediately, you enhance and improve your function, quality of life and longevity. You see, exercise truly is like a medicine. In fact, they joke that if any medicine had all the benefits of exercise, right? Whoever could sell it would make trillions of dollars if you could put it in a pill. But we don't need a pill. The beauty of movement gives you so many other benefits, not just all of this reduction of these diseases, but it improves so many intangibles, right? I mean, gosh, I love it when I've been doing my single leg deadlifts, right? And, uh, and single leg or double leg monster walks, things like that, where I, I, I suddenly like stand on one leg to like reach something at an odd angle. I'm like, wow, I can do that really easy. Like it feels really good. It's like, yeah, because you've been doing your exercise to strengthen your core and your stability, right? Or if I like, for example, take my shirt off to take a shower, my wife goes, oh, your abs are looking good. It's like, yeah, that's right. That, that feels good inside, right? That moment of aesthetic pleasure. So you and I get so much more than just the general, true, well-proven health benefits. You see some of these benefits here, and we also know the benefits for our brains, right? That reducing that risk of depression, anxiety, and all of the Alzheimer's, dementia, et cetera. So again, remember how I said 
for each of us, there are different reasons that we can identify and place in the, I don't want to exercise today. And then you go, yeah, but I don't want dementia. So I think I'm going to go get a nice walk, right? <laughs> or it's like, oh, I don't want to exercise today. And then you're like, yeah, but remember how depressed you were the last two weeks because you didn't exercise? Okay, time to get the movement going. Or you know what? Oh, wow, I've got that visit from that friend of mine who's staying for two weeks or that family member who stresses me out, makes me more anxious. Okay, I've got to start getting my exercise as my prescription, as my preparation for that time that's going to be challenging in my life. You see, that's what exercise can be perceived as for us, not just the fun, for those of you who enjoy the funness in fitness, but also with regards to a true modality. You see, taking Prozac is no more effective than exercising moderately when it comes to depression. This is true medicine for your bodies. But of course, also, it has so many other bleed over benefits, right? When I exercise regularly, my discipline, my self-efficacy goes up. And now I'm more likely to choose the salad, right? And the steamed rice and veggies than I am to reach for the fries and the pizza. Because inside of me, I have that belief that I can, even if it's uncomfortable. Because let's have a little talk for a minute. I'm coming in close here. You know, exercise is not always comfortable. It's not always meant to be. And the reason why is because it's challenging you. Challenges aren't always comfortable. They don't leave you in your happy place. They don't give you dopamine immediately in that moment all the time. They don't make you feel pleasured, right? Luxuriated like the Hagen does, does or the deep tissue massage. But the reality is that the benefits of exercise are exactly what you say you want. You say that you want to be healthy. You say that you want to be vital. You say that you want to be able to be functional, right? That you don't want to be you know, unable to walk up the stairs, unable to pick things up. You don't want the dumb diseases, et cetera. Well, guess what? Well, then it's going to require you to take the steps in order to achieve those. And the truth is you can, you can, you are capable because the, the risks of inactivity are very real. There are guidelines. We just walked through some of them. And the potential benefits of movement is inherently powerful. Speaking of which, I think we should just all like uh, sit up a little bit here. Let's sit up. Let's do a couple quick exercises together. Ready? So I want you to just kind of sit up tall in your chairs or wherever you are or in your bed or wherever you are. If you're driving right now, you don't have to do these. But I want you to just start with me. Lift your arms up overhead. Just stretch up. Hold them up high for five, four, three, two, and come all the way down. Take a big breath in and out. Good. Now I want you to twist all the way around and hold the side of your knee and twist and hold for five, Four, big breath in, three, two, and out. Now go the opposite way. Nice little stretch of the low back and hold for five, four, three, two, and good. Now I want you to bring your arms up over your head again. And I just want you to go up and down 20 times. One, two, three, four. Chest up and out, chin tucked back. Six, seven, eight, nine, 10. Keep it going. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Big breaths in and out. 16, 17. 18, 19, 20. Good job. Now, you probably noticed if you did that, immediately you actually got a little bit of breath up and down. You got a little bit of your heart rate increased a little bit, you know? You felt a little stretching and opening up of your chest wall. It was so simple. You can do those. If little bursts of activity are something that resonate with you, go to our Google search, A-B-E-F-O-R Fitness uh, and you'll find about 70 videos my wife and I made with Yale University, funded by the Walnut Growers of America, uh, a number of years back. And they're all free online. They're three to five minute little videos. You should watch them and do them regularly. 
because little bursts of activity throughout our day are powerful ways to get our blood pressure down, to reduce anxiety and improve health. So let's talk about 10 simple tips for success, right? That's what I'm here today to do as you try to implement uh, this prescription of exercise into your life. Let's start with number one. Number one, sit less. That's right. People who sit more than 90 minutes a time double the risk of death. You don't want that. And so we want to sit less. And what are some ways to do that? Well, you know, break periods of sitting to less than 30 minutes per at a time. So you can set a little alarm on your phone or your watch that every 30 minutes uh, it buzzes. And you're like, what's that? Oh, that's my movement alarm, right? And I've been wearing recently this little uh, doohickey watch here. And it's interesting. It just every once in a while vibrates and says move if I'm sitting for too long. And uh, so kind of if you need something like that, use it, right? Um, but once you begin to get habituated to movement, it's fascinating what happens, right? When I was just making some rice and beans for tonight because I wanted to prep my food before I came to have this wonderful presentation with Chef AJ. And then I'm going to be teaching some tennis later today and doing some clinical visits as well. And I uh, wanted my meal all prepped and ready. And while I was putting stuff on and waiting for some things to boil, et cetera, I did some countertop push-ups. And then I did a few squats while I was just standing there. And why? Well, because I've been habituated to it. It's become part of kind of who I am, that if I'm standing in one place or sitting in one place for too long, I go, all right, time to move a little bit. So the more that you habituate yourself to, you know, every 30 minutes getting up and moving a little bit, and this can be literally for less than a minute. So don't worry, it's not going to throw off your work-life productivity. So especially if you work from home, this is a perfect opportunity. You know, you could do stuff like sitting on the Swiss ball, right? Or sitting on an unbalanced surface or having a stand sit desk or getting a treadmill you can walk while working on or a bike that allows you to gently pedal while you are typing. But we want to make sure regardless of what you choose to do, that you're getting up and moving every 30 minutes or so, because this is so, so powerful. And keep looking for other ways to incorporate that movement into your day-to-day -day life, right? So I no longer do sit-down meetings unless I absolutely have to. I go out for walks. Even some of my patient visits now, if I know it's going to be a longer conversation and they like to do that, I just say, hey, you want to go outside and walk as we talk and have our clinic visit? They go, let's do it. We'll go out and walk around the parking lot 10 times, right? As we're just chatting about their clinical issue. This is what we're talking about. You see, the Industrial Revolution robbed us of movement, right? Back then, everything before the Industrial Revolution, everything was done by pure muscle and bone and twisting and turning and hard work and labor, which was backbreaking at times for sure and difficult. So thank goodness for the Industrial Revolution. But the problem is it as a result of machines and cars and all this equipment and technological advancement, we no longer have to do that much physical work, many of us, right? Unless it's our, quote, job. And as a result, we actually have to figure out ways to get movement back into our life for many, many of us. So be creative and make sure, again, break up the periods of sitting at less than 30 minutes a time. Number two, start moving. As in now, vamos, get going. Do not put this off. Don't say, oh, I'm going to start some exercise. I always like Dr. Esser. He's encouraging and motivational. Maybe next week, maybe in a month, maybe in two months. It's like, yeah, no, no, start now. You see, I like this little slide that you see below or the photo there. It says nothing, something, perfection. Nothing to something is a measurable distance. Something to perfection is infinite. So many of you who are not regular exercises, exercisers, have been saying to yourself, well, it's just not the right oh, time. Are you right? frozen? 
Am I frozen? Shoot. I'm moving. Do you see me? Zoom. Guys, is, is it me? Is it? Uh, I don't know. There you can go. You hear me? You now, can you just froze for just a brief second. Just, I'm frozen. Ah. I'm just kidding. I'm not frozen. Okay. <laughs> so, so we've got... <laughs> we've got the nothing to something right is measurable something to perfection is an infinite distance doesn't even exist so do not wait for perfection do not wait for the ideal moment in time i want you first of all to start here right because some of you are saying i'm injured i can't safely do x y or z okay great so don't do x y or z instead do j v and l right that's what we need to be doing so you need to identify activities that you can safely do that's number one Right. And if you're unsure of what you can safely do, then see a sports medicine doctor like me or see a physical therapist in your community. Right. So, I mean, I do lifestyle. Um, I don't do uh, clinical medical visits for people outside of Florida because I'm not licensed outside of Florida. But if you just want to talk about some exercise routines and what's safe for you to do, I'm happy to do that. That's a lifestyle consult. You can just go to essersports.com and you know book yourself a lifestyle visit. And I'm happy to converse with you uh, about some good exercises for what you got going on. So, but identify activities that you're willing to do, right? So what can I safely do? And what am I willing to do? Many doctors or healthcare practitioners make the mistake. They find one sport or activity they like and they try to one size fits all people. You need to walk. And people are like, some people are like, I hate walking. It's like, I hate it. I'd rather go to hell than walk. Like, that's horrible. And it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, but so the reality is you need to think about what you're willing to do. What are you willing to do, right? And what do you have access to? The next thing I would say, right, in this whole perfection concept is avoid the twos, the too far, the too fast, the too soon. So for example, the person who says, I'm going to pick up running, and then all of a sudden they're running 30, 50, 80 miles a week or something crazy. And now they have knee pain and hip pain and ankles and their IT bands all swollen and inflamed and so on and so forth. No, 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 don't do that. Uh, make sure, look at this, I've got a bee on my hand. I'm not sure what he's going to do. Looking for honey. I guess that means I'm super sweet. <laughs> so, but that's what happens when we're outside. Um, he seems like a sweet beast so far, <laughs> pun intended. Uh, eliminate excuses though. You've got to identify, right? You know, what are, what are the excuses you're using? Is it the fact that you don't feel safe to do things? Is it that uh, you don't have access to things? So on and so forth. The next is to avoid comparisons as you're considering your exercise routine. This could be comparing yourself to your best friend, Juliet, or this could be comparing yourself to who you were when you were 22 right? I've heard women in my clinic, right? Not pointing any fingers, but you say to me, oh, Dr. Hester, before the kids, and, and then they keep going, right? That's so on and so forth. And it's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Stop comparing yourself to before the kids. Because first of all, you were 22, right? And now you're 51. You can blame the kids if you want. It may have been part of that issue. But the big part is this is 30 years later. This is how, how you know, how's your level of activity? What are you doing to maintain? What are you doing to build muscle? You know, so on and so forth. But you want to avoid comparing yourself to who you were five years ago, 10 years ago, or even yesterday, except for if it's yesterday, the fact that today you want to be a little healthier. But avoid in particular comparing yourself to the person on the next treadmill over or, you know, three lanes over in the pool, et cetera. No, only use those comparisons if it inspires you. But you've got to know that about yourself, right? You've got to be honest with yourself because for many of us, we compare ourselves and then we get depressed. We get anxious. I'll never be that fit again. Well, there's no reason to even play then. There's no reason to even go on the court. 
I may as well just not even go to the gym because I'll never have the biceps I did when I was 28 and I used to go to those muscle shows, right? No, make sure that you are not comparing except for, again, if that inspires you and perhaps comparing yourself to the day before, to yesterday, that today you're a little healthier, a little fitter. But do not wait for perfection. It will not happen. It will not occur. You won't find the perfect time. Start now and make today and tomorrow and the day after the healthiest they can be. Number three, every step counts. This kind of bleeds a little bit into that whole perfection mindset, but there's a temptation to think that, well, if I can't do blank, then I may as well not even try. When the reality comes, that every movement counts, every step counts, every little bit, that little bit we did a minute ago with our arms overhead and stretching to the sides, the body was like, thank you. Uh, thank you, that felt good. You gave me a little bit of dopamine. You gave me a little bit of vasodilation of my blood vessels. You stretched out some lymphatic channels. You opened up some tight ligaments in the shoulders, right? All of that. Before I came over here, I have a TRX, one of those hanging things in my bedroom. And I just grabbed the handles, leaned back, and did a quick 25 rows, right? Just kind of hanging from there. That's beautiful. doesn't matter that I didn't do three sets of 35 with resistance and then followed by chest. No, no, no. Get some in. Get some movement. You see, some of you are too hard on yourselves, right? You, you do stuff like, well, I, I, you know, it was okay, but I didn't do blah, blah. It's like, chill. I mean, if you were really just lazy and that's why you didn't, that's different. Fine. Well, psh, move on. Do more tomorrow. But if it was just like you did some, great. Affirm that. Acknowledge that. I did some movement. Tomorrow, I'm going to do a little bit more movement, right? So every step counts, right? I mean, this is funny, right? If you were to do two minutes every hour, right? Look what that correlates and turns into. It essentially gets you that 150, right, plus minutes per week of light activity, even just moving couple minutes every hour, getting up, doing some jumping jacks, jogging in place, so on and so forth. But every step, squeeze, turn, jump, and reach counts. So do not say, for example, well, I don't have time for a two-hour workout in the gym or to go play tennis the way I'd like for two and a half hours. Thus, I'm just going to sit and watch Netflix. No, that, that, that's not it. It's, well, I can't go to the gym. I can't do my swimming. I can't go play tennis if those are your passions, right? I can't get a walk-in. But you know what I am going to do? I'm going to lay on the ground and do a quick core routine, right? I'm going to do my pointer dogs and then my sideline leg lifts. Maybe you saw my four uh, quick basic knee exercises I put up yesterday on Instagram. You know, something, do them every day. Number four, Chanel, Chanel. I feel like we should make this more French, high class. Chanel factor your life. <laughs> but Chanel factor your life, right? You, if you're serious about being healthy, if you really desire to be well, which I know you want. That's why you're watching Chef AJ, because you want to be healthy, because you you want to be the best version of you in 2023 and in 2065. You want to be super healthy and vital. Well, channel factor your life. Today, I posted on Instagram, right? A countertop checkup, right? I just put that up. Here's my countertop, ching, right? It was all this sweet potatoes and you know all the different foods that are on my countertop just randomly lumped together. Well, that needs to be the same thing Right? I'm channel factoring my nutrition because I surround myself with only healthy food. You know, it's kind of funny. People make this mistake about me all the time. They're like, I had somebody the other day, I was at a party or gathering, and they like were serving some decadent dessert, you know, they're extremely unhealthy with salt and oil and sugar, et cetera. And they're like, they came to me and they're like, oh, I know you don't want any. And I, I paused and I was just like, I just said, thank you. 
you know, and they moved on. Um, but it was funny because in my head, I was like, no, actually, that's not it. I do, quote, want some, but I don't want to be unhealthy. And thus, my priority of being healthy, right, outweighs my desire for that quick, sweet moment of dopamine. And because I've rerouted my brain in such a way that I'm not going to compromise my number one goal for a secondary or tertiary goal. So what's your number one goal? Is it to be healthy? It should be so that then you can achieve all the other goals in life, right? Because truly health is your first wealth. And without it, you're bankrupt. You're in hospitals all the time, in clinics. So you want to channel factor your ability to exercise as well, right? Because it really doesn't matter what you say you want. What matters is what you do. So you may say, I want to be fit. I want to have lean muscles. I want to be able to squat and pick things up. I want to be able to hike that trail. Well, what are you doing to achieve it? What are you doing? I mean, it's amazing the number of people who just put themselves on the shelf. Well, I used to be able to do that, not anymore. And it's like, well, what are you doing to achieve it again? Are you doing anything? I mean, you say you want to hike the way of St. James. I have so many patients, it's funny, that seem to want to do that uh, you know, long trek in Spain and France. And I go, well, what are you doing to prep? And those that are truly motivated, they're rooking, right? They're putting a backpack on with weights. They're walking on a treadmill. They're walking outdoors. They're doing exercise from their knees, ankles, and hips to maintain and build strength. So they're ready to hike their 200, 300 miles, right? Over several weeks. But you see, if being fit matters to you, you're going to develop patterns, behaviors, and increase your success. And you can see some examples there. Getting that workout buddy or accountability partner or seeing the physical therapist if you're injured or getting with a personal trainer or watch, you know, downloading videos, getting the app, whatever it might take, joining the club, the fitness gym, whatever it is. But you as the CEO of your health life need to identify what it will be that will make you successful and lay out the plan. So you got to be willing to change how you think and also how you behave. Because at the end of the day, right? At the end of the day, it really doesn't matter what you say matters what you do, right? Because words are fun and playful and emotions are nice and whatever, but it's actions that actually transform you. Number five, after all that seriousness, I want to say, <laughs> have fun. Have fun. Movement, activity, exercise should be fun. You should enjoy it. So in order to do so, though, I think you need to let go of the past failures right? The times that you've tried and failed. The times that you joined the gym, like so many people, January 1st, the joke is, right? The gym packed and by February 1st, it's almost empty again. Let go of that. Let go of your anxieties of like, oh my gosh, I'll never be successful. I've tried this so many times. Uh, you know, I know what Dr. Esser is saying, but I'm a failure and it's just not going to work for me. That's all self-limiting, right? And let go of this stuff that's the nonsense too, right? I mean, the gosh, you know, the, the men who say that doing sideline leg lifts and Pilates is for girls and the girls who say that lifting weights is just going to make them look like men. It's like, dude, chill. Your body needs these aspects of fitness. It needs the cardiovascular, it needs the strength, it needs the flexibility. We need all of it because you want to be the total package, the complete package. You know, you want to have it all, right? And you want to have it, a long time. So be creative and try new things, right? Look up, hey, is there a, you know, any sort of a group on for a Pilates class? If you've never done that on a reformer somewhere and experience that for yourself, maybe make it a date night or a good friend night that the two of you go out and do some, some of these unique classes and sessions, right? 
Movement truly is medicine though. And so it's important that you not have this rigid definition in your brain. Yeah? Don't have that rigid definition. And I, and I want to I unhinge you a little bit in the sense of so many of us have gotten so like, here's my exercise time and here's my this time and here's my that time. It's like, dude, be a little more flexible, chill, have fun in all those times. Try to incorporate the movement into the midst of your whatever else it might be. Like we said, with the work that you're doing on the treadmill or the bike or the walking meetings, et cetera, or when you're making your food, incorporating a little bit of movement there, et cetera. I'm not saying, you know, break into a full-on sweat and sweat through all of your clothes and be stinky PU all day, but we're saying get a little bit of movement when, where, con consistently as possible, you know? So be flexible. That's crucial. Not only physically flexible as a goal, but more importantly, cognitively and emotionally flexible when it comes to your movement. But you've got to check in with yourself in between the ears and see if some of these past issues are what are actually limiting you. It's not that you don't know what to do. It's not that you don't have access to things. It's not that you don't have the finances to allow you to join blank X, Y, or Z, but it's that right now you don't have the emotional liberty, the emotional liberty to allow you to express yourself through movement because there's so much stuff. If that's the case, well, it's time to take the garbage out, right? It's time to leave it, push it over the hill, walk away, call the garbage man, right? Whatever it might be, and, and begin to build anew. In order to do that, you may need number six, which is to get support, right? Getting support for many of us is essential. You want to develop relationships with active people. If all of your friends are just couch potatoes who like to go to the movies and Netflix it all the time, you need new friends. You can keep those friends too. I'm not saying, you know, throw them out, but you need some friends who like to be active. And if you don't have any, then you need to go to places or online to places, et cetera, to find those sort of people. So for example, what's your local hiking club? Oh, interesting, right? Did you know? Yeah, a lot of places have hiking clubs, right? Even big cities where people all meet together and then caravan out to the local, the closest parks or whatever and hike together. And they're socializing and they're talking and they're sharing recipes and talking about life. I mean, why not, right? Or is it that you always love tennis and then you didn't get to play tennis for 30 years because of work and kids, whatever else. And now the kids are out of the house and you're slowing down in your work and you have a little more free time. Well, maybe now is the time to go take a lesson somewhere, tune things back up, and then join one of the ladies or men's leagues, right? There are a lot of leagues around. There's so many options out there of things to do. But having relationships with people who also want to be active is very powerful. And that's where I think, for example, those of you who are in the retirement age, some people find it really great to move into active retirement communities right? Like some of the big Dell web communities where they've got pickleball courts and tennis courts and pools and exercise things and stuff's going on constantly that you have all of this outlet for movement, right? We want that for you. If you, if you feel like on your own, you just, ah, you don't have to get up and go. You don't have the drive. You don't, don't have the initiative or you don't know what to do. Then you do need that trainer. You do need that personal trainer, that physical therapist, somebody in there, depending upon your level of comfort and your level of previous injury, et cetera. But join something, identify someone, build relationships with individuals who can help support you in being more active. But remember, what is my goal for you in 2023 is to take on the role of CEO. You've heard this in one of my other talks with Shelf AJ about being the CEO of your own health company. Not that you're 
sitting back and be like, I don't know what to do. It's like, no, actually, you do know what to do. And you've just got to get past that headspace in which you feel bankrupt, anxious, impotent, alone. You're not. Chef AJ is here to support you. I'm here to support you. That's a good beginning. And now begin to build out from that. Number seven, with movement, if you're truly serious about creating a strong, vibrant, flexible, functional body for years to come, you need to evaluate your success, right? It was funny. I was looking at a friend's post and this friend of mine is a like, top 10 in the world in CrossFit uh, and uh, in, you know, in the master's class. It's amazing just how strong and fit. And they were doing this interesting exercise on their Instagram post. They were like, this is a test of your strength and stability of your core and legs. And I, I tried it out and I was like, Whoo, ho, ho, I need to work on that. And it was a very basic sort of uh, movement. It wasn't anything with weights. It was nothing dangerous, et cetera. But I was like, wow, that's a really great test. That showed me that although I consider myself yeah, relatively fit, not where I'd like to be, that's why I'm working on it every day, uh, that, wow, that was a good sign to me that that's something I need to work on. And then I had picked up a couple other, you know, unique little wall slide things to test my stability in my hips and strength. I was like, oh, wow, that's also not what it needs to be. So that gave me an opportunity to say, okay, those are some areas to branch out on, to work toward right? But you need to identify for yourself, what does success mean when it comes to your fitness as well? Is it a weight reduction, blood pressure reducing, fit, improved fitness, improved speed, more muscle mass? I mean, what is it? But establish some tangible and measurable markers of success, right? I mean, it might be, for example, for me, I started when a core program recently back again, 25 reps. I want to get up to where I can do 35 or 40 reps uh, with minimal discomfort. The tennis, when I'm on the court, I started back. I want to get to where I can be out there for two hours solid, moving side to side and still feel good. Not that I'm winded after 30, 40 minutes. So establish some goals for yourself uh, that are meaningful. And number eight, modify those goals as you move forward, right? So you may change them based on, hey, I achieved them, or you're not enjoying necessarily that, or you get an injury, right, from life. Uh, but you want to remain dynamic and recognize there's a season for everything as well, right? So like we said, that comparing yourself to your 22-year-old self, if you're 68, may not be the best choice. And rather recognizing that while you could, uh, right, kind of bench press 250 when you were 25, then now that you are 68, it might be better if you like bench pressing to be bench pressing 120 and doing a high repetition sets, right? Elongating the muscle, keeping lean muscle mass and strength and conditioning. Number nine is to grow. I love this mnemonic. Of course, it's to identify the goals. Like we said, what's your reality today? What are your obstacles and how is your will to change, right? Is it high? Is it low? So on and so forth. You know, life is short. This is number 10. We're all going to age, aren't we? We're all going to change. These things do occur. So you can use exercise and sport for as a goal exercise as sport, right? So I, you hear me talk about tennis, right? It's part of my bloodline, if you will. And so I love tennis. It makes me happy to play it because I've done it for so many years and I have such a family history in it. But you also may use exercise purely just to add value to your life, which is what I do when I'm doing my core exercises, my strength training, et cetera, because I want to be able to be more functional, to be more active. But the reality is that exercise will give you more life to your years, you know, I don't want to live to 150 just for the sake of lifting to 150. I want to live as long as possible, and I want to have the highest quality and function of life possible so that I can leave the world a better place. That's my goal. So 
when you think about this movement and exercise, if you say you want to be able to play with grandkids, you want to be able to go on hikes, you want to be able to volunteer at the soup kitchen, you want to be able to lift things, you want to be able to move your own house, you want to be able to take care of yourself, you want to be able to be a caretaker to a spouse if that time comes and is required, so on and so forth. Well, guess what? Exercise is part of all of those goals. So do not wait until you're 50, until you're 65, until you're 72 to su and suddenly recognize you now have all these needs and you haven't addressed them. Because the facets of aging that I mentioned, this loss of skeletal muscle mass, this loss of muscular strength, this slowing of neural function, this modulation of inflammation, this arthrosclerosis, so on and so forth, right? Well, exercise positively influences all of these aspects of aging, slows them, decreases them, right? Prolongs function performance and decreases the chronic disease. Win, win win, win. I want you all to be winners. Winners in that exercise game. As Walter Bortz, one of the foundational researchers on aging said, you know, a portion of aging is in reality caused by disuse. Many of the things commonly attributed to aging, read that again. Many of the things commonly attributed to aging are in reality caused by disuse and as such are subject to correction. So if you're 18, good, start now. If you're 65, start now, right? Get moving. Get this exercise as part of your day. As my hero, my grandfather said, exercise is just as essential as a rational diet. And as another hero of mine, Joseph Pilates said, physical fitness can neither be achieved by wishful thinking nor outright purchase, right? How true, how true. In closing, Exercise is universally accessible and valuable. It is. You can do any in your living room floor, in your bed, you can exercise. It's health promoting. It's got to be part of a rational health plan. Do not reject it. Do not pretend it doesn't matter. It does hugely. It promotes your function. It promotes longevity. It prevents common diseases. So in, here's what I want from you. Here's your prescription. You've now been in my clinic for the last 40 plus minutes. And your prescription is the following. You need to start exercise today. And I want you to achieve 150 minutes per week of cardiovascular exercise and strength training two to three days per week. I want you to continue this for a lifetime. And I want you to feel so good in your skin that you share this message with friends, with family members, and that together, we continue to broaden and build circles of influence that create an entire society of people who are passionate about movement and all the values it brings to their life. With that, thank you for joining our first in this series. And thank you, Chef AJ, as always, for your kind hosting. Oh, thank you. This was wonderful. So Dr. Esther, while people are typing questions in the chat, if they have any, what I'd like to ask you is why is it so hard to get people to exercise? I feel at least in the plant-based world, it's easier to get people to eat a health-promoting diet than it is to get them to move, especially if it's, they haven't had the lifelong habit of movement. That's right. I think it's because that first or one of the first slides I put up there where people have separated themselves into I'm an exerciser or I'm not an exerciser. And they have this kind of false fixed perception of themselves, right? There's that group that's going out for their run and they're those people at the gym. Yeah, I'm not one of those. Uh, but very few people say I'm not an eater. 
right? Because they'd be dead by now. So everybody has to eat. Everybody has to eat. So, so as a result, just changing their food, they're willing, you know, that seems more reasonable. But too many people have put themselves in a box. And that's what I want everybody to do is break out of the box, break out of that box and begin to recognize the actual, absolute imperative uh, of movement for your health. And some people, I think, also feel like I've only got so much emotional energy. I can either do the nutrition or I can do the movement, but I can't do both. And, and that's a false, a falsity as well. Yeah. Uh, you, you know. Do you think that it, that, you know, you had good health modeled for four generations. And, and so when it comes to exercise, I wonder if part of it is genetic. And by that, I mean, you know, when you see, if you come from parents and siblings that exercise, wouldn't you say you're more likely than if you, like my, my mom was morbidly obese. She never, I mean, the only time she exercised was after her first heart attack and then was cardiac rehab. So I never saw this growing up, you know, hundred percent. And you know, what's so cool about that is that every single one of your viewers, if they didn't have that modeled for them, now has the chance to transform the future for their friends, family, et cetera. Because that's what's so cool. It's like, we could be like, well, I never had that. And that wasn't part of my history. It's like, all right. So you're either now going to continue to hand down that lack of heritage and history in your life, or you're going to say, it stops with me, which is pretty cool because four generations ago, right? My great grandfather, that's what he said. He said, I'm going to now put down this flag, right? And it did that health matters so much that I'm going to build a life around trying to create a healthy life for my family, for my children, et cetera. And look what it did, right? I mean, how cool. So each of you that are viewing this today, this is your chance to take that flag and say, you're right. I'm going to put this down here and I'm going to now be an example the rest of my life to those in and around me in my social circles and networks, my family circles of trying to achieve good health. So cool. Well, I'm sure you read The Pleasure Trap because you're, we're all friends with Dr. Lyle and Dr. Goldhammer. You know how they talk about the motivational triad, seek energy, uh, wait, wait, uh, seek pleasure, avoid pain and conserve energy. Yeah. So, it, I mean, our ancestors, they didn't call it exercise. They had to move. But we, we live in a world today where you don't have to ever like get out of your chair. That's like, right. Movie Wally. Did you see the movie Wally? Yeah. That's kind yes. of what it's like. Oh, absolutely. It's right, right. Uh, please deliver to my house uh, four heads of lettuce, three, right? I mean, everything, right, can be done through that phone. Oh, yeah. my God. So, so I, I don't I don't get out much. I work a lot, but I did go see the movie Elvis. It was fabulous, by the way. Good. So I'm in a new town. So we went to a theater and it was really weird because I had never been even in L.A. I had never been in a theater that was like a table. And the reason it was a table is because any time during the movie, you could order food. And this lady next to my husband, I mean, she ordered like, I don't know, some shrimp dish and wine. And I'm thinking, well, like, this is insane because, you know, I came from LA. So like it was, it was considered, I was, I'm in the screen actors Guild. It was considered like disrespectful to eat in a movie other than right. have water. They didn't even allow it in the theaters that I went to. And I'm thinking, oh my God, this is just so insane. And, and they're delivering the food in the dark and they're, and it's just crazy that people yeah. cannot go two hours without, you know, food right. or an alcoholic beverage. Amen. Preach it. I agree. So, uh, Love it. But, but we can all change that, right? That's the beauty. Each one of us can, you know, again, make that decision. 
I, I think one of the problems with selling exercise is that for so long it's been sold as the as a weight loss necessity. You know, you think about shows like The Biggest Loser, and we all know that you can't outrun a bad diet. And I think it needs to be spun that that is, you know, the way I got to exercise is Dr. Lyle got inside my head and he said, well, you can either exercise or you can take psychiatric drugs. The choice is yours. And I go, well, I think I'll exercise. And so when he framed it that way, that all I had to do was exercise vigorously an hour a day and, you know, basically keep my anxiety at bay. Like he was, he, that's how he was like Tom, Tom Sawyer, or was it Huckleberry Finn, you know, whitewashing. Yeah, the right. And so like now I do it because it's my medication. And I know if I don't take it, I'm going to feel terrible. I wouldn't say I love it, but I mean, it's just, it's just such a habit now. Like, like, it, like it was like, I, I produced a conference this weekend and I, you know, I got up at four 30 just cause I didn't want to miss my workout, you know, and I was actually, you know, really tired, but you know, you just, you can, you can learn to, even if you don't love it, you can just learn to do it just like eating vegetables. But, you know, I'm curious because, you know, not everybody on the show is vegan, although most of the people are, because that's who I know. But like I had Elaine Lelane on the show. She's the wife of Jack Lelane. And, you know, she's not vegan, but she eats, I'd say, healthier than most Americans, as did Jack Lelane. Uh, isn't there still even for, we want people to eat our diet, but even for people that don't, there's it's still a, I mean, you should still exercise, even though even if you're eating McDonald's, you should still exercise, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the potential health benefits, right, uh, especially right in the setting of an individual uh, eating a less than ideal program, uh, you know, are, you know, again, the big pillars of health, right, those two big pillars are going to be the nutrition and the movement, um, right? And so we want to maximize both if possible. Um, but again, not looking for perfection, uh, but just doing the best that you can and movement thousand uh, percent has very powerful physiologic and neurologic benefits. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that Dr. Lyle said that also like he gets in my head and stays there. And he said that, that something like, you know, when you exercise, especially in the morning, it, it, it increases your ability to stick to a healthy eating plan because, you you know, well, you can eat pretty good all day and then thousand calorie bin at night. But once you've exercised, he says it impresses your internal audience. And then it's like, well, you don't want to go off your plan because like you're so proud of yourself. That's right. A hundred percent. I think, you know, the simple phrase to me always was like, you know, a, a run goes better with a big salad and a fruit smoothie than it does with, you know, ribeye and some sort of, you know, weird sauce. I mean, that, that's the reality. You feel light, you feel clean, right? You're kind of detoxing with that exercise and adding healthy food into the program just fits. They just go hand in glove. Yeah. You remember that movie Body Heat with William Hurt where he went jogging and then he lit up a cigarette. That was hilarious. Yeah, not not the you know, and we know um, James James Jim Fix, right, the father of American running, obviously eating horribly, smoking, and had a massive heart attack at the age of fifty-two and died on the side of the road in his jogging shorts because he said that he could outrun his diet. And so it's so important for your listeners who are still eating an unhealthy program, though, to recognize, like you said, you cannot outrun an unhealthy diet, and that both relates to the weight loss, but also to the most important, which is the atherosclerosis, that heart disease, that silent killer, which is the number one cause of death for men and women uh, across America. And so, yeah, I mean, you can't out exercise the cheeseburger. Uh, you're still, I say to people, it's kind of like running kerosene through your unleaded car's tank. Doesn't matter if you just rev the engine. It doesn't make, you know, it's not cleaning up the kerosene. You know, if, if somehow people's uh, smartphones were connected to like a bike or a treadmill and the only way they could access them, that, that would be the way to do it, I think, you know? Yeah. Be outstanding, outstanding. Yep. And they do have kits that you can actually buy yourself that allow your television to run like that. And so it forces you to do that. And if you, if you, as the CEO of your health company say, you know, this would actually get me going, well then 
buy that kit online, plug your television into it and right. And create that model for yourself, right. Yeah. And cover all the other sockets in that room. And you have no other option except for to do that. That's what I do when I'm on the spin bike, which is an hour a day standing. I'm either doing email, watching a show or just, you know, it, it just goes so fast because I'm not even yep. literally paying attention to. I mean, I'm, I know I'm sweating afterwards, but it almost feel like, oh, I could go longer because I got more stuff to do. You know, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So we have some questions from the live viewers. Uh, OK, OK, here it is. Can you summarize how you're a fourth generation plant based eater? That's really amazing. And maybe tell us your brief story. And do you eat oil? My great grandfather, William Esser, uh, was a lived in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, had some health conditions and decided he'd start researching the German traditions with Father Kneipp and his water and vegetable cures. And because uh, they were from Germany and uh, so he moved outside of Pittsburgh and planted a bunch of fruit trees and a little tennis court that they built on the grass there. And, and there the history began. And then my grandfather, Dr. William Lesser, ran for 65 years a fasting and health facility in South Florida, where he had over 30,000 patients. And then my father and then me. So there's your fourth generation. And now my kids are the fifth generation of plant-based eaters. Uh, and your question about oil, no, I do not on average consume oil. On occasion, if I'm out at a restaurant, right, and I ask for no oil or minimal oil, and there's a little oil on something, I may have a little bit of oil on it. Uh, but it is my goal, uh, right? In my home, I use no oil and, uh, and rarely have any if I'm out and about. Great. Thank you. So Elizabeth wants to know, is brisk, not, is brisk walking enough? Uh, I like to, so brisk walking where you can talk but not sing, again, you can talk but not sing, would suggest a moderate level of intensity. And that moderate level of intensity is where the majority of the health benefits are. And if you're doing that for 150 minutes per week, then you are hitting the aerobic exercise goals of the prescription, but you are not getting strength training and you are not getting balance or flexibility. So you still need to work on those other aspects two to three days per week at least. I'm terrible, Dr. Esser. I don't, I, don't, I don't do them. I mean, well, I don't, wait a minute. I do the flexibility because I do yoga. I spin, but the strength training has just mm -hmm. always, it's just, I hate it. I'm going to be honest, or I got trigger finger. It's just, I, it's just, I'm yeah. so resistance to resistance training. You know? <laughs> well, and so we saw in our studies that we looked at the national studies, looking at mortality rates that achieving the aerobic exercise, right. Was uh, more powerful than the strength training. So you are getting that benefit to begin with, but the functional aspects of strength, Strength training are very important with the concern for sarcopenia over time. So whether it be getting some 5, 10, and 15-pound light weights, or whether it be getting the elastic bands of great resistance, but beginning some low rows, curls, tricep extensions, squats with the bands or the light weights doing 20 or 30, this is still money in the bank, and it's the money in the bank of strength and function uh, that I think for any... So on average, women who are going to be plant-based on average will be slender. The problem is a slender woman who ages has a higher risk of osteoporosis. And the only it's the resistance training that builds the bones and helps maintain, uh, right? So some that bone density. And so we still want to build that in there uh, because also we've got these slender plant-based women who then want to move a planter with their pretty flowers in it out in the yard. And then they get their compression fracture in their back. Not cool. Right. Mm -hmm. So we want to maintain that good muscular strength for independence and function. So 
Yes, Chef AJ, I'll be checking in with you in the next several weeks I to make know, sure. No, I just uh, <laughs> I don't know what my problem is, and I actually had a compression fracture when I was heavy. Yeah. It was actually in an accident, and that was no fun. I was in a cast for like a year. I forgot that people actually sent their questions in in advance because they get so excited talking to you. But here's one from Rachel. Is hi, Rachel. Hey, this is not an exercise, but hey, you're an MD, so you, I think you'll know the answer. And if you want, I can give it to Dr. Weiss on Friday. But she said, is it possible to avoid having your gallbladder removed by using a fat-free whole food plant-based diet? I've had recurring gallbladder biliary pain since the fall two years ago, and I'm told that I have gallbladder polyps. Interesting. So what I can tell you with regard, regards to uh, cholecystitis, which is inflammation of the gallbladder or gallbladder stones, right? They kind of build up in there is that many people who have mild to moderate uh, sized stones are able to avoid moving on with surgical procedures. So long as they adopt that whole food plant-based low fat diet, because their body is not forcing this uh, large quantity of, of the bile to be formed and squirted out and all these other issues in the formation of the cholesterol rich stones. Uh, so the majority of people can, those who have a stone that is now impacted or stuck in the little duct, well, they may not be able to get away with that and may require surgery, especially if they're in extreme pain and you know recurrent issues. But try diet first, right? I mean, unless you're oh, absolutely if you're if you yeah, if you're not in extreme pain in the ER about to die with blockage, uh, then doing a six-week, 12-week program of aggressive plant-based nutrition like Chef AJ recommends, or my four or six-week program online that you can download is absolutely worthwhile doing and seeing if all of your biliary pain goes away. Uh, then you will know. But I would recommend if you do it, you do it 100 percent for that period of time uh, to see your body's response. Have you heard of this? Because I've known a couple of people that went on our diet and they lost weight so quickly and then they had to have their gallbladder out. No, I've never seen that with anybody, but I have heard those stories. I've never seen it for anybody, uh, you know, who's done my program. I've, I've known two people personally, so I thought maybe it was a thing. This yeah, I mean, rapid weight loss can negatively affect, right? Because we're dumping so many of these stored fats, et cetera. And so now the bile production and all of the inflammation and all this goes up. Uh, but for the majority of patients that I've cared for, because they're eating so much fiber, that fiber is binding up a lot of that, you know, kind of uh, uh, detoxified fats and you're getting out of the body more quickly. There's less of the kind of reconstitution in the bloodstream. Um, but yes, it is described in individuals who have rapid weight loss uh, yeah. that there are some of those occurring. Great. Thanks. Keep talking. All right. Here is from one day. Maybe you'll show your donkey when you come on. He has a donkey, guys, the cutest <laughs> right. one ever. So here, this is from Betsy. I started feeling pain in my hip, which broke after a fall three and a half years ago and now has three pins when walking a moderate distance. I had x-rays done, diagnosis was osteoarthritis and tendinopathy in the gluteal region and PT was prescribed, which I'm doing and I've gotten better with my diet for inflammation, but I'm wondering if the tendon issue will resolve with PT over time. I suspect I have pulled something when getting up down off of the floor as a form of exercise. I wonder if it's okay to walk more, even if there is some pain. Yeah, that's a good topic about like, do you, if you have pain, do you exercise? Yeah. So if you've got moderate to advanced arthritis of your hip, then repetitive impact activities are likely to just flare up and piss off your hip because now you've got a ball and a socket which lack the cartilage coating because the arthritis has worn that away. And now as you're walking, it's just bang, 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 bang. And that of course creates inflammation and pain. If you on x-ray or MRI only have mild arthritis in the hip, 
then it's possible that more of your pain is related to some iliopsoas tendinopathy or your TFL or one of the muscles around the hip where you've developed some tendinitis. Um, tendinitis normally responds well to modifications in activity, good physical therapy, excellent nutrition to reduce inflammation, or the use of things like turmeric, boswellia, ice, uh, TENS units, things of that nature. But I think what's important is to have the accurate diagnosis, and that is what is your primary pain generator? Is it the arthritis or is it the tendon? Again, if it's the tendon, then the PT should help. If it's severe arthritis, like you have advanced arthritis in your hip, then physical therapy may benefit you some, things like hip traction, myofascial release of the muscles around it, uh, but it's unlikely to give you back that 16 or 22-year-old hip, and you're likely to still have pain. That's when you then consider options, whether they be oral medications or injections, things like um, steroid-based injections for short-term relief, gel injections for a little longer, or things like PRP or stem cells that I do for arthritic changes, um, that if a person has advanced hip arthritis, can help about 70% of people for up to two years at a time. Um, and then, of course, there are some individuals that require a joint replacement, right? So about 90% of people who have their hip replaced do well and are happy with the outcome. Uh, but it's not something you want to jump right into if you don't have to. And you want to make sure your diagnosis is accurate and you've tried all the conservative treatments first. And we should mention you are a sports medicine doctor. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you, you're, not, you're not just like uh, talking, <laughs> telling tall tales out of school. This is from Victoria. My orthopedist told me I have severe OA in my left shoulder by x-ray. He said I needed a shoulder replacement eventually. I'm a 71-year-old female. Is there any way I can avoid the shoulder replacement? If you have severe pain and significant dysfunction secondary to the advanced arthritis, uh, then you consider shoulder replacements. The downside of a shoulder replacement, number one, is it's a big surgery. It's a real commitment, obviously. And number two is the rest of your life, you're limited with how much you can lift. You cannot lift more than about 20 pounds on that arm the rest of your life. Because if you lift more than that, you may dislodge the replacement. So the only reason to go to surgery of a replacement for your shoulder is if you are in severe debilitating daily pain and cannot live life. If you do not have that debilitating severe pain, then there are a host of other things to trial. The physical therapies, the acupuncture, the use of a TENS unit, the gel injections, PRP, hydrodistensions where you stretch out the nerve or stretch out the muscle, the, the capsule around the joint, uh, suprascapular nerve blocks, so on and so forth. These are all things that I do uh, for patients to keep them from surgery. Um, and for many people, they're extremely successful. I have a guy right now I just treated the other day with stem cells for his advanced shoulder arthritis. And he just texted me three weeks later. He said, I can't believe this is the first time in 10 years I've been moving my right arm with minimal pain. Um, so he's very early on. I'm very impressed with his response. Not everybody gets it that quickly. Um, but again, yeah, you, you want to be very conscientious. I only would go to a shoulder replacement if you failed everything else and you have like nine to 10 out of 10 pain, keeping you up at night, can't live life, et cetera. If you just have bad arthritis and a loss of range of motion, but you have no major pain, then absolutely never get your shoulder replaced. Just work on range of motion and you know functional activities. Great. Thank you. This is a question from Janet. What are the pros and cons of steroid injections? Well, steroid injections, the only pros of them is that they reduce pain and inflammation. That benefit lasts for approximately three to six months at the most for individuals. Um, but as far as their negatives, well, steroid injections, especially recurrent steroid injections, increase your risk of diabetes, increase your risk of osteoporosis, increase your risk of, uh, of skin thinning. 
Uh, and they also have a negative effect on the cartilage layer in your joints. Oh, so they yeah. accelerate arthritis. So uh, you, you know, get this steroid injection makes you feel better briefly, but it accelerates the arthritis in the joint itself. Okay. Um, so a lot of reasons not to get them um, and very few to get them. Um, they, they have their place in individuals who nothing else is helping. Their quality of life is severely impaired. But I can tell you, for example, I posted on Instagram not too long ago, a study that looked at individuals over a year with knee pain and knee arthritis, and they either randomized them to steroid injections or to physical therapy. And those who did the physical therapy at one year had the same outcomes as those who had the steroid injection. Yet their quality of life, their function was all better because they were stronger, more conditioned, more fit, et cetera. And the reason why that works is because as you strengthen all alternate muscles around the hips and the, the knees, you alter the mechanics of the knee. So you have less force through it. You alter literally the physics through that joint. Uh, and so it requires hard work and commitment on our parts, but it's absolutely worth it uh, because the negative potential of the steroids is a problem. And that's where I use things like platelet-rich plasma. Um, where I inject people. Um, and if you look at studies of uh, comparing PRP versus uh, steroids, the outcomes are better with PRP and longer lasting. Um, so if anybody ever wants to come to Florida, let me know. I'm more than happy. I, I charge the least of anyone I know of to do PRP and stem cells. And you can stay in one of our nice little bungalows here where I am today and uh, do your PRP and then go back to your bungalow. But isn't um, it a painful procedure? No, not the actual injection, not for the majority of people. For large joints, it's minimally painful, the knee, the hip, if you know what you're doing. I use an ultrasound for all mine. I've done thousands of them, so uh, usually not very painful. For small joints like fingers and toes, it's extremely painful because those joints are very sensitive, right? Because we use them so much. Uh, and directly into tendons, like for a, a kind of a lateral epicondylalgia, like tennis elbow, that can be very painful. Uh, but into large joints, like for arthritis of your knee or shoulder, it's minimally painful. Wow. Well, what about it, it oral, well. what, our oral steroids? Do you feel are as harmful as the I think they're even more harmful because you get more systemic circulation. So when you're taking it orally, it just goes everywhere. Um, versus when you do an injection, at least the majority of it stays in place and a small amount circulates through the bloodstream. Uh, so oral steroids are absolutely toxic and I hate them unless you, like if you're in a state of like your ulcerative colitis, you're having 10 bloody bowel movements a day and nothing else is, you know, saving your life in that moment. Sure, do the steroids, right? To quiet things down. Uh, but then go somewhere like True North Health, right? And, and, and you know, fix things correctly, getting the autoimmune you know, a kind of toxicity down, et cetera. Um, but oral steroids have a lot of dangerous side effects. They increase the pressures in the eyes. They increase the risk of cataracts. They increase the risk of, as we said, diabetes. They increase the risk of glaucoma. They increase the risk of also something called avascular necrosis, which is a dying off of your hips. Uh, horrible. So a dying off of the cartilage layer. So I have people that really make me nervous. They'll, they'll be like, well, I have a cough and a cold and I went to the doctors and they give me some antibiotics and steroids. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. Oh, hold on a second, right? Why are we not, you know, eating our greens, fasting a little bit, taking some N-acetylcysteine if we need it, whatever? But no, 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 this, no, 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 not the oral steroids because the potential side effects. There's a term called idiosyncratic. It means we don't understand when it's going to happen and why it happens. So somebody who's had oral steroids five times in their life and never had a side effect now could take them and suddenly their hip rots out, and that's called avascular necrosis. When that occurs, there ain't no going back. Now you're looking at a hip replacement and it's horrible. And I've seen it young people, even in their thirties and forties, they took steroids and 
No, you're scaring me because that's sort of one drug I love. I mean, when I I don't abuse it. (laughs) No, it's not. I mean, but as an asthmatic, you know, I sometimes have to take them. And um, I've also had the shot for when I tore my rotator cuff and I did do physical therapy, but I I felt like I really needed it. And I don't think I knew you at the time, but now you want to. Yeah. And what you want to do is you just want to shorten the duration and decrease the dosing if you need it for something like an asthma attack or et cetera. The studies do suggest the longer the dose and the higher the dose, the higher the risk of these idiosyncratic reactions like AVN or avascular. They usually give me like four days, like is about it. That's yeah. About it. And you just want the the least, right? You know, I milligrams. Milli- I think it was 20 milligrams or something. I don't know. But like, yeah. And so tw- 20 milligrams is better than 60 milligrams, right? Yeah. So that's well, it. When, when you can't breathe, you kind of. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it's not, that's not good. Drugs, right, drugs have their place, right? And uh, they can be life-saving at times. Uh, But they also, you know, there are a lot of times where we don't want people to be taking them uh, because rather than doing what's the the actual, the actual fix, uh, you know, that we want to choose. Thank you. Uh, Sarah says, I've been diagnosed with osteopenia in my hips and osteoporosis in my spine. What do you think about Zolo? Dronic acid infusions once a year for this condition. My doctor has been recommending them, but I've been holding off any thoughts. Yeah. I mean, it's a, I tell people always, it's a personal decision about what you do with regards to your osteoporotic treatment. Uh, the use of medications all have significant potential side effects. In particular, the medicine you're making reference to, it only has positive effects as long as you're taking it. As soon as you stop, uh, you lose all the benefit that you gained. Um, and it does have quite a few additional side effects. So I just encourage people to research the side effects of the medications and to look at their present condition. So certainly mild osteopenia, you should not be taking a drug for, you should be doing strength training for, you should be maximizing your nutrition and possibly supplementing, checking your vitamin D, your thyroid function, your parathyroid function, checking your calcium levels, right? Maintaining excellent uh, you know, strength, building, because here's the reality, right? For the majority of people, it's not that they, that it's not that having, thinned bones suddenly results in a fracture. What happens is they have thinned bones and then they fall because their balance is horrible and then they fracture. And so, or they lift something that they're not appropriate for, right? That they're not conditioned to do and they get the spinal fracture. So what's crucial is that we should all be maintaining the fitness like we spoke of. The cardiovascular fitness, yes, but then we need to be doing the strength training and the balance work so that we're not at risk, as high of risk of falling. So you know, we get these women who are in their 60s and 70s who are not doing any balance work, any change of direction, any reaction time work at all. And they step on something that's a little bit you know, unstable. They quickly turn to try to catch themselves and down they go. Versus if they were doing ballroom dancing on the regular, if they were doing line dance classes on the regular, if they were doing some of the strength training, et cetera, they would step on the unstable surface, start losing a little bit and go boom and put their other foot down and they'd be fine just like you learn to do in the ballroom dancing, the line dancing, et cetera. You're changing direction. You're working on reaction time, et cetera. So, um, you know, I think it's a very personal decision as far as to take the medication or not. Uh, but in the midst of making that decision, do not lose sight of what you can do, you know, because whether you take the meds or not, you need to do all the other stuff. The excellent alkalizing nutrition, the outstanding strength and conditioning and balance work and reaction time work, you know, et cetera. Great. Uh, Susanna says for the 60 minutes of exercise, how vigorous is vigorous? Yeah. So vigorous would be that you can neither talk nor sing. So you can't hold a no. You can't do that. You can, you're kind of just talking. And um, if some, you know, a little bit of breath right there. 
Yeah. So that's what you're looking for. And so as you get more conditioned, right now, you can go harder, longer before you reach that same level. Gosh, it's hard. I don't know if I get to that point. I'll, I'll take, I don't, I, I don't think I do. I mean, yeah. I'm, so I'm sweating, we, but yeah. So we want to see you live on Instagram. And if you can still hold okay. a note while you're exercising, so, um, it's not enough. <laughs> go live. Okay. I'll do that. Uh, let's see tomorrow. Either to, yeah, I will do that this week. I'll go live on Instagram on the bike. Will you tune in and tell me if I'm vigorous enough? Uh, we can try. <laughs> okay. I I, I'll do it early. Hopefully you won't have a patient. Uh, that's, that's I love great. it. So uh, SW says, does exercising on a rowing machine count towards resistance training? I hope you say yes, because Dr. Curtis Rimmerman, a cardiologist at the Cleveland Clinic, clinic recommended the the uh, concept rowing machine. And so we uh -huh. got it hasn't come yet, but if it is, I'll do that. It's good for cardio and you do get some resistance training for the upper body, right? In the back and the core. But, uh, you know, if you're not careful, you get very little leg benefit from it because you're pulling so much to your arms, right? That your legs, they fire a little bit, but it's not the sort of, remember, in order to have really strong bone building benefit, you need to be doing at least 60% of your one rep max. What does that mean? Let's say you know that if you sat down at a gym and sat on a leg press machine, let's say you know you could, with effort, like pushing hard, you could do 100 pounds. So let's just easy math, right? Well, then 60% of that is that you've got to be pushing at least 60 pounds repetitively to actually build your bones significantly. So got that's it. the same thing here, right? So again, the person who's like, well, I'm doing five pound weights. I'm like, that's not enough, right? Unless you're like four years old, you know? Otherwise we need more. So you start at the five pound weight, but you've got to be building up over time. It's not enough. Just like you're going to do your push-ups, great. Start them against the wall, build up the strength, then go to the, you know, tabletop, then go to the, you know, so on and so forth, right? But start somewhere, and then build slowly. So yes, you get some good upper body, but unless you're really focused on pushing back your legs, they're not going to get enough. But if I'm doing my 60 minute spin and then that's another thing I do, that'll be enough, right? You're going to be getting some upper body. You're not strengthening those legs enough. And I don't think you're going to, you'll see over time, you got to really crank up. But the I'm, resistance. Already, I'm not going to, I'm going to still do my 60 a spin. My legs are huge. I mean, they're like gigantic from this, <laughs> you know? Well, I love it. I love it. Okay. So Samantha says, do you think a hip lab labral tear should be repaired if there is pain where I can't exercise? Uh, it depends on your age. So by the age of 30, 80% of people on MRI will have labral tears, as many as 70 to 80% of asymptomatic people. So if you go on to scholar.google.com and put in asymptomatic hip labral tears, you're going to see MRI studies, which they took people who have no pain and they gave them an MRI of their hip. And 70 to 80% of people have labral tears, but no pain. So you want to be very careful with just because your MRI shows you have a labral tear, it may or may not be your source of pain. If you're under the age of 25 and you've got this deep inner hip pain that is worse when you squat and twist, et cetera, it may be that that labrum is your primary problem. But I want to always prove it for people. So I do two things. Number one is I send them off to six to 12 weeks of excellent physical therapy around the hip. If that has not improved their hip pain, then I do a diagnostic injection of a long-acting anesthetic called ropivacaine into the hip under ultrasound guidance. If 80% of their pain goes away, I've proved that the labrum, something inside the hip, is the source of their problem. If none of their pain goes away with that numbing medicine, then it ain't their labrum. Mm. And so if the majority of their pain goes away with that anesthetic injection, then I consider PRP or stem cell. If that fails, then I consider surgery for them. But the problem with surgery is the outcomes are extremely variable, 
even in the best hands for that procedure. And if you're going to have surgery, you want to be under the age of 30 and you want to have it done only by someone who is hip arthroscopy certified. Means they put little cameras in. They've done that for years. They've had fellowship training, et cetera. Not some run-of-the-mill orthopedist who is not hip arthroscopy certified because these guys do it. And then the person has persistent pain and now they get more arthritis because the surgery accelerates arthritis. And now they get their hip replaced two years later. Not cool. So you just want to be very careful. If you're over the age of 30, you and I probably have some arthritis in our hip as well, some small amount. So if you go in there and try to mess with the labrum, all you do is piss off the arthritis more and you end up with more problem. And I've seen it again and again, these people who get suckered into doing the surgery and it's like, no, now that's different. Like I said, if you're a 20 year old athlete, college level, who comes in with that hip pain and the MRI shows the labrum and it's torn off and flicked into the joint, yes, you might do well with the surgery. But otherwise, no. Thanks. Brigitte says, could you please talk about stem cell treatment for moderate to advanced polyosteoarthritis? Moderate to advanced arthritis, if you look at studies, depending upon the type of stem cells. Stem cells, we should we can do a whole talk if you want someday, Chef Aja, on biologics, which I think is a fascinating topic. A lot of people are interested in how, you know, using our body to heal. Um, you know, so stem cells come in two forms, either autologous, meaning from ourselves, that would be things like fat-derived or bone marrow-derived stem cells, or allografts, that means from somebody else. That's going to be placental and amniotic tissue. There are very few studies on amniotic tissue. Uh, literally, you can almost count them on your fingers and toes and uh and the outcomes are variable and mixed so not enough data to support it yet uh the studies on bone marrow derived and fat derived stem cells suggest that about 70 to 80 percent of people get a a robust benefit but not everybody and it can last up to five years at a time and so from moderate to advanced arthritis studies, for example, at UCLA done by Sampson et al. show that individuals who received an injection of bone marrow derived stem cell and six weeks later an injection of their own blood plasma called PRP, that 91% were satisfied at two years. Pretty good outcome. Thank you. There's a question, at, is there any way to heal a frayed meniscus? Uh, well, the first question always is, is the frayed meniscus the source of the person's pain? Because many people have frayed meniscus and what's really causing their pain is instability of the knee. Because the knee is a joint with the femur and the tibia and it should just be nice and clean mechanics. But if you don't have strong enough quads and balanced hamstrings and lateral hips, there's a little instability. So as you ride the bike or walk or jump or squat or climb the stairs, there's a little instability. And so now you repetitively pinch that meniscus and create pain. But if you simply stabilize the knee by improved strength around the joint, uh, now the pain goes away. And so there are multiple studies showing that if the meniscus is not flipped into the joint and blocking motion, that physical therapy for six to 12 weeks is as effective as an arthroscopy. So tons of studies. You go on my Instagram, you'll see some of those posts there. I also do an Instagram of Esser Sports, which is more geared towards sort of that stuff. And then I have Esser Health, uh, which I cross-pollinate some stuff, but also do a lot more on just, you know, nutrition and other aspects of health. Excellent. Thank you. Um, here's a question. Is arthritis genetic lifestyle or growth? And if it runs in my family, is there anything I can do to reduce the risk of getting it other than whole food plant-based eating? 
all of the above. It is related to genetics, it's related to lifestyle, it's related to age, and it's related to traumas that we've experienced over time. And the answer for you is always, my friend, yes. There's a lot that you can do to rewrite the genetic code to influence it, as we say, the epigenetics, right, of your genes themselves. And studies show us that the most powerful things that you can do with regards to especially arthritis in the lower extremities, but also some of this for the upper, includes reducing inflammation throughout the body, doing that by getting rid of visceral fat or belly fat, improving blood flow, right, by maximizing uh, micronutrient-dense foods, all the plant-based matter, and eradicating all of these sources of inflammation in your diet and life. Everything from smoking and alcohol to all of these standard American sofas diet that Chef AJ speaks about. Next needs to be joint stability. We need stable, strong joint structures that are also flexible. So if you are not every day bringing your arms up overhead and stretching out and opening up, you are actually increasing your risk of a rotator cuff tear because why? Your shoulders are rounded and tense and you're decreasing the rotator cuff outlet. You're increasing the likelihood of pinch and tear. So very important stuff that we can change. And I know Chef AJ and I are going to have some fun talking about some of these topics in the months ahead. Yep, and I have to leave in about two or three minutes to go, okay. to go play go, some go. tennis. Answer these really, really fast. Angela says, can arachnoiditis, especially in the spine, be helped by stem cell therapy? I'm not, I have no familiarity with treating that with stem cell therapy, but I have seen it improve with aggressive micronutrient-dense plant-based program and actually even a juice detox. I had a patient with bad arachnoiditis that was failing to improve with multiple injections, et cetera. And then we put them on a combination of like a therapeutic water fast, then juicing and then food. And there is improved by about 70%. Okay, we have three more questions. Just answer them fast. Steph wants to know, do you accept new patients remotely? If they are in Florida, I accept clinical patients. If they're out of the state, I do lifestyle consults. If you just want to talk about food and exercise and sleep. Thank you. Okay. And there was a question about hydration and bones. Where did it go? What a, I don't know where it went. So, um, okay. How about, what's this one? This one's really good. What do you think about acupuncture for relieving pain? Helps a large proportion of people. It's a low risk, right? Traditional approach. And I encourage people to try it because for some people it's magic. Yeah. You know what? I had TMJ so bad and nothing worked in physical therapy, you know, in the things, but boy, the acupuncture really, really cured awesome. it. Or, or whatever. What about rebounding? A nice form of exercise that gives you a little bit of, uh, you know, some strength work, a little cardiovascular work, et cetera. But my fear is that uh, I, I don't ever want anybody to put all their eggs in one basket and only do that one thing because you're only going to be strengthening those specific muscle groups repetitively. What I like to see is that you're varied and modifying what you're doing over time as well. But I think it's a nice way to stay active and get some movement as well. Okay, appropriate role of hydration and keeping bones and joints strong. Uh, very important throughout the body. 70% of the body is water. So making sure you're eating those water-rich foods, those fruits and vegetables that are 90 plus percent water, of course, as well as hydrating through good, clean, distilled or spring water, reverse osmosis water, et cetera. Good. Okay. I've got to run. Okay, now you'll answer the sports hernia next month. Okay, thanks. I'm on it. You're sorry we took so long, but you're so- I good. love it. Okay, you can go, but I'm going to say goodbye to everybody. Okay, Thank you. Don't.
Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye, Dr. Esser. So, guys, I'm sorry I didn't get to that question about the sports hernia, Samantha, but guys, please try to get them into us in advance because then we can book the appropriate amount of time based on the number of questions. Simply go to chefaj.com. And then when you're on my mailing list once a week on Sunday, we sent you the lineup. And that is who is the guests. And you just reply to that email and say who the questions for. Keep them short. One short question per person. So thanks for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow when we debut a new show called Simple Healthy Cooking with Well Your World, where Dylan Holmes is going to prepare a spaghetti squash casserole.